May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It can be very stressful when you're not ready for someone to visit you. And members of our extended family, I'm not going to say who, um, were expecting guests for a meal. And the guests arrived um, uh, when before the host was quite ready. And um, as the husband opened the front door, the wife stepped out of the shower room in their full view, stark naked. Well, the Apostle Paul, wanted, he wrote his second letter to the church in Corinth so that there would not be any awkward scenes uh, on his forthcoming visit to the city. So this is our last study in what is an emotionally demanding letter. Um, I say it's our last study. In fact, I'm going to return to a single verse, um, the last verse in the letter on Trinity Sunday later this year in June. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. I'm going to come back to that um, later in the year. But today, we've got to get our heads one last time into Paul's passionate and final appeal now to his, this beloved but wayward church. See, he was the one who planted the church in Corinth, but as you remember, since then, other ministers have snatched the new believers' hearts away from Paul um, and to themselves. These teachers, well, they appealed to the Corinthians' vanity in a way that Paul refused to do. And as a result, many in the church now, frankly, despise Paul. And they had a turbulent history with him. Because after Paul had planted the church, uh, Paul had had to write to them to confront various problems there in the church. In our Bibles, we have the letter that he wrote to confront that. It's what we know as 1 Corinthians, 1st Essence to Corinthians. And boy, it was hard for them to read. Paul confronts so many things in that letter. Their ego-driven division, their flagrant sexual immorality, their ungodly attitude to marriage, their compromise with idol worship, their dysfunctional gatherings for the Lord's Supper, their arrogant misuse of spiritual gifts, their wonky thinking about the resurrection. He corrects them all. Ow! That letter must have stung for them to receive. Well, we discover from the second letter to the Corinthians that a number of those issues had been sorted out, but not all of them. And plus, the second letter refers to a subsequent ugly incident where one member of the church had publicly insulted Paul, and the rest of the church had done nothing about it. Nothing to defend the man who had taught them the good news of Jesus in the first place. So the question is, with a history like that, what would happen on Paul's third visit to Corinth, which was about to happen? Well, this last section of 2 Corinthians prepares uh, at the church there for the impending meeting. The imminent visit runs right through this final section. And so what we're going to do, I plan to, to walk pretty briskly through what he says um, to them in four movements, four steps. And then we need to pause to think about how these words apply to us. So, okay, first step. This is, what does he say to them? Well, first, Paul says to them, effectively, I'm coming for your hearts and not for your money. I'm coming for your hearts, not for your money. Verse 14, 
sister than the start of where, um, where Mary picks up. He says, now I'm ready to visit you a third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. Now, those of you who have heard the studies or know 2 Corinthians will know what the, what the background is here, because the new ministers were charging lots of money. And the Corinthians actually really liked that because it made them feel that they were getting something really valuable. And they were quite down on Paul because he took no money from them. So Paul says to them again, look, I have no intention of ever changing my policy on this. I am not going to charge you. All the co-workers Paul had sent to Corinth, they did exactly the same. They refused payment. And Paul says, I will too when I come. He says, I'm going to minister to you for free. In fact, he says, I am going to expend myself like a parent saving um, for the child they love. Will the Corinthians love him less because he loves them enough to serve them like this? Well, who knows? Whatever they think, he says to them, I am not going to be a burden to you financially. Well, it is true, of course, that he is going to take money from them. There's a collection being arranged. Chapters 8 and 9 of this letter are about that collection. But the money is earmarked for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Paul is not going to help himself to any of it. So in other words, he, the, he starts off by ex setting their expectations. He says, we are not going to behave like these false apostles who openly charge money for their ministry. He says, and I'm not going to secretly steal from you either, from this collection. I do not want your stuff, he says to them. I want your hearts. I want your loyalty. I want your love. Now, we may ask, why? Is that because he's a kind of megalomaniac, a bit of a narcissist? No, um, and we'll soon see why he's so jealous for their hearts. But let's move on to the second phase. Second, Paul says to them, effectively, I'm coming in trepidation, in fear, that some of you may persist in your sin. See, we raised the question I just did a minute ago whether perhaps Paul is a bit of an egomaniac. Well, here's a related issue. Isn't this letter of 2 Corinthians just basically a big exercise in defending himself? Well, he knows that the Corinthians might have thought that. Don't think that, he says to them. Uh, the last bit of verse 19. He says, we're not defending ourselves. In rather, everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. The point is that those false apostles had weakened the Corinthians. It weakened their grasp on Christ. Yes, it does sound like Paul's defending himself, but he must win their hearts back to him if they are to be made strong again. Their true allegiance, well, it'll become clear when he arrives on the third visit, and he is frightened that the news might be bad. He's in trepidation. Look, he fears. He says it actually twice. He says it. Verse 20, he says, I fear that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. He goes on again. He says, I fear there might be the kind of sexual disorder that he mentions in 1 Corinthians. It may still be going on. I realize this. And if it is, he says, 
then the visit could prove very painful for everybody for reasons we're about to discover as we take our third step now. So the third step here, Paul says to them something else effectively. He says, I'm coming with Jesus' power to discipline the unrepentant. I'm coming with Jesus' power, he says, to discipline the unrepentant. See, this is going to be the third visit. Now, two visits um, would have been enough for Paul to know what was really going on in Corinth. But the third visit, well, that gives him the authority to judge what is really going on. This time, he says, the unrepentant members face great danger. Verse 2, last second bit of verse 2. He says, we're in chapter 13 now, verse 2. He says, on my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you're demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you. He is powerful among you. Yeah, Paul is weak in himself. But he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, what do we mean when we say that? He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. What that means, it's a technical word in the New Testament, for the the most part. He is an apostle. That means he is one of the small handful of Jesus' first-generation followers. One of that small group who were invested with Jesus' authority to establish his church for all the generations. That's who Jesus has authorized Paul in this unique way, or nearly unique way. And Paul says to them, Jesus is not weak. Yes, he was weak when he was crucified, but now he has been raised by the power of God, and he is working powerfully through the ministry of his apostles, says Paul, and I am such an apostle. And in fact, he makes that point just earlier in chapter 12. Just look, he he states it here, he's very conscious of it. Chapter 12, verse 12, if you just look back, he says to them, he says, the signs that mark an apostle, in other words, the signs that accredit an apostle, signs, wonders, miracles, they were done among you by me. By me. I, am a, I am an apostle. See, the Corinthians really are demanding proof from Paul that he really is an apostle. That's what it amounts to, that Christ really speaks through him authoritatively. And Paul's saying to them, my friends, you need to realize that those who don't repent are going to get proof, and they're not going to like it. It's not a proof they will enjoy. Now, he doesn't say exactly what he means when he says that he will not spare these church members. At the very least, he, he will come and declare the unrepentant ones to be out of the church until they repent, at the very least. There is, of course, an undertone as well. If you read the book of Acts, and you know it well, you will be aware that there are, well, at least two cases where apostles pronounce um, discipline. In one case, the apostle Peter, in the other case, the apostle Paul. And you may also be aware that those cases do not end well. One ends in the death of Ananias and Sapphira. The other ends in uh, the temporary blindness of that uh, man who picked a fight with the apostle. So Paul is, is issuing a warning here. He's saying, I'm not messing because the authority of Christ rests upon me in a unique way as an apostle. 
And that ought immediately to have shaken the Corinthians out of their vanity. Okay, fourth step. Paul now says to them effectively, he says, I'm coming. I'm coming in prayer that you will examine yourselves honestly. So verse 5, he says to them, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. In other words, check yourselves, reform yourselves, he says. Because the thing is, they have, been, they have felt very free to examine Paul and to pick his ministry to pieces. Well, let them show the same discernment about their own thinking, he says to them. You pause to ask yourself, am I intellectually in line with Paul's message? Let them be discerning about their lives. They're, he says to them, you ask yourselves, are we morally in line with Paul's message? That's what he's asking them to check. Self-examination as a Christian is a really hazardous business because it just is um, for lots of reasons. Um, the, 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 our capacity for self-deception, including my own, is absolutely almost bottomless. And one other thing about self-examination is that um, very often sensitive Christians can get crippled by uh, minutely analyzing their own motives and ending up in a kind of pit of despair. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a pretty clear, objective test. He's basically saying, you need to consider, friends, is your belief and your lifestyle submitted to the teaching of Christ's apostles and to my teaching as an apostle of Christ, as presented and recorded in the New Testament? So, He's not being a megalomaniac. It's not a, some kind of narcissist that Paul is demanding their loyalty. It's as an apostle. And again, this is not about him defending himself. He doesn't mind if he appears weak. He doesn't mind if he appears a failure. Only let the Corinthians pass the test. Let them receive Paul's apostolic authority, not to build up Paul's ego, but look at verse 10, key verse in this section, really. Chapter 13, verse 10. Why must they receive it? It's because the Lord Jesus has given him apostolic authority to build them up, not to tear them down. So Paul is laying the ground for his third visit to Corinth. And it's a church in the balance. I'm coming, he says, first, not to claim your money, but to claim your love. Second, I'm coming in trepidation that your disobedience is ongoing. Third, I'm coming with Jesus' power to discipline the unrepentant. Fourth, I'm coming with prayer that you're going to examine yourselves honestly. Well, that is an outline sketch of what is an emotionally powerful and in reality much more detailed uh, text. What we now need to do, though, is to inquire how it applies to us. And so we can ask the question... Is Paul's approach here a model for pastors to copy today? Right, suppose I, I went on sabbatical um, and, God forbid, may it never be, Christchurch went, I don't know, badly wrong one way or another. Could I write to Christchurch from my beach somewhere where I'm relaxing and reading my interesting books and generally in, enjoying my sabbatical, could I write this to Christchurch? No, not exactly. 
of course, there's plenty that I could learn um, to write whatever letter it would be right for me to write. But what I could not say is, on my return from reading my books on the beach somewhere warm, I will not spare those who sinned earlier since you're demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. I can't say that. Nor can any pastor or priest or minister or anybody. That is something Paul can say as an apostle. Christ speaks through him because he is an apostle. So, in other words, the issue in this passage actually is pretty much the same for us as it was for the Corinthians, which is this question, how do we receive the apostolic teaching and particularly the testimony of the Apostle Paul? It's actually the same issue as it was for them as it is for us. Will we welcome the Apostle Paul uh, and the other Apostles? Now, maybe you're new to all of this uh, Christian life. Let me point out something remarkable to you. Jesus wrote nothing down. It's very obvious, but has it occurred to you, Jesus wrote nothing down. He, instead, he commissioned his apostles to teach the church his message through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the result, in God's wisdom, is the set of apostolic writings that we know as the New Testament. So again, if you're new to Christian things and you're wondering how to discover the truth of Jesus Christ, how to meet with his power, here's your answer. You need to listen to, to receive, and finally, one day, to obey the apostles' teaching. And Paul is one of those authoritative apostles. And what joy lies ahead of you. Oh, some challenge as well to get to grips with Paul and his writings as you read his letters. Um, lots of wonderful discoveries lie ahead for you. Like many of us, you will find God's transforming work, Christ's transforming presence through his words and that of the other apostles. But those of you who have been in the faith a little bit longer will realize that for various reasons, um, today some still find Paul quite hard to love. Some of you will say that. If I got, if I got um, a pound for every time someone had said to me, I love, the, I love Jesus' teachings, but they find Paul quite difficult. I'd be a wealthy man. People say it. And it's partly, of course, because his writings demand pretty careful and rigorous thought. You can't be intellectually lazy and do uh, your best on Paul. Um, it contains moral teaching that are out of tune with our age. And, of course, there are contextual and cultural things you've got to take into uh, consideration when you read Paul because he's writing into particular contexts. For example, chapter, 12, verse, um, uh, chapter 13, verse 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. How shall we apply that? Well, I'll leave that for you to puzzle over, and I'm not going to get into these details. This isn't time to go into these very interesting discussions um, about Paul and some of his particular teachings and so on. All I want to say, actually, in response to, to, to all of this, um, about misgivings with the Apostle Paul, is that it's nothing new. Um, Paul's apostolic authority, his apostolic teaching, his apostolic morality have been questioned frequently. That's what was happening in Corinth. Another apostle, Peter, he says something very interesting in his second letter. 
in his second letter, chapter 3. You may know these, these verses. You may not. I don't know. Let me read um, what Peter said. And I've marked it up in my, in my Bible. He says, Our dear brother Paul, this is Peter writing, he says, Our dear brother Paul wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. That's Peter. Peter on Paul. And it tells us a lot, those comments. For one thing, it tells us that some of Peter's readers were finding Paul hard to read because it does demand quite a lot of careful thinking. Another thing is it tells us that Paul's writings were subject to distortion from the earliest times. And we gather that actually from Paul's own writing as well. But interestingly, it also tells us, and crucially, that as far as Peter was concerned, Paul's letters were on a par with, quote, the other scriptures. In other words, they were authoritative and that to distort the teachings and the letters of Paul leads to catastrophic eternal results. So Peter is absolutely clear on Paul's apostolic authority. And through the letter to the Corinthians, this second letter to the Corinthians, the apostle appeals to the Corinthians and actually appeals to us as well, really, through the centuries, to receive him and receive his ministry because in his weak ministry, and he, as we saw last week, boasted in his weakness, Christ's power was and is at work. Now, it's not that the Apostle Paul is coming to visit us, um, but his teaching is in our midst. It's in our hands. I'm holding it here. And it matters infinitely that, yes, we work hard to interpret it faithfully, um, receive it joyfully, and submit to it obediently. And it matters for one overwhelming reason, Christ's power. Christ's voice comes through the ministry of the apostles, including Paul. So as I end, I, let me put it this way. Um, Paul ends 2 Corinthians with that beautiful uh, prayer wish, which we know as the grace and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. As for the Corinthians, so it is for us. If we ultimately... Uh, sit loose and refuse the apostolic teaching, Paul's teaching included, then actually we lose our enjoyment of these things. The, the grace, the love, fellowship, we lose it. In the, in that, that's where we, to what we drift towards. But receive the apostles' teaching and all of it becomes ours. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be yours. Of which the apostle Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he, he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Hold on to the apostles' teaching, and the love of God will be yours. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, of which Paul said, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor future, not any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
receive the apostles and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be yours. Of which the apostle Paul wrote, we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew, Greek, slave or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. So don't despise, refuse, patronize Paul as the Corinthians did. Grapple with him if you need to. Um, think about his writing carefully. You will need to. You will. So will I. But in any case, we must make sure that we receive the apostolic teaching, Paul's teaching, with humility and obedience as an apostle of the one who gave him and them authority for building us up. That is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to receive the apostolic testimony, to understand it deeply and to obey it with all our hearts. And we pray that you would give us wisdom in this. And we ask that you would do so by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may be built up in our faith. For we ask it in the name of Jesus.